Welcome to the Digital From Day One podcast. Our aim is to build a bridge by creating content that will pique interest, spark conversations, and encourage further innovations that will ultimately build a more informed and prepared pipeline of learners headed for the 21st century workforce. Hi, my name is Brendan Dickerson, and joining me as always is Joelle Nelson. Today, you'll be listening to a discussion with Dr. Theodore Chow, who is an assistant professor of mathematics education and teaching and learning science, technology, engineering, and mathematics program at the Ohio State University. How are you doing today, Dr. Chow? Uh, I'm good. And actually, that's <laughs> I, 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 it's a different title now. I'm associate professor now, as, oh, as, of, ah. as of this month. <laughs> there you go. Breaking, breaking news. Breaking news. <laughs> well, congratulations. Well, congratulations on that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, so let's dive right in, uh, Dr. Chow. Um, so before obtaining your PhD in mathematics from the University of Texas, Austin, um, you received a BA in film and media studies and a BS in uh, computer science engineering from John Hopkins University. Mm-hmm. And, and a couple of that also with a, a MS in uh, education from St. John's. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we go forward and we'll talk a little bit more about um, some different things that's happening at OSU, can you just take us back a little bit um, on your journey? Uh, basically how you put together, you know, the film media studies with the mm-hmm. computer science, because that's pretty unique. And it's something, you know, we haven't heard before as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no problem. I was in, a, I was in college at a time called the 90s, right? It's a very different, <laughs> different, different world. Um, you know, I mean, I, I remember like, you know, the internet was barely available. I mean, many, when, when I got to college, like I started college in 1995. I mean, many students, when they got to college, was the first time they'd ever been introduced to email. Right. I mean, this is this is just how, how different of a world it was. And so, you know, I wanted to get into computer science, computer engineering. I didn't really know what it was, you know, and outside of just taking very basic rudimentary coding classes in high school where you're coding on Pascal or, you know, you know, using um, command line prompts to type stuff in basic. I also knew that there was this emerging sort of revolution in media. Right. I mean, we, we, we all sort of felt it. We knew that it was there. We knew. Um, you know, cable television and, 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 and film, you know, these visual narratives that dominate our culture and the way that we think and talk were just growing and growing and growing. And increasingly, you know, like I had grown up in a world where video games, films, television, and camcorders allowed us to make our own movies just seemed to be such a part of the vernacular that we're all a part of. And so when I got to college, you know, I, I couldn't figure out what you know, what to study, right? I was like, you know, I love computer science. I love computer science engineering. And the deeper I got into it, I realized it was, a, it was heavily a mathematics degree. And I love math. I mean, I, I've always really had a, a, um, had, had a deep love of mathematical thinking and problem solving. But at the same time, it wasn't connecting to the, the, th- the stuff that I thought was really important. Like, how does this stuff um, actually connect to the way that we see the world? How do we remake the world around us using stories and using narratives that come from maybe the way that I understand things from my family structure, the way they understand things from sometimes the stories that I heard growing up, the fairy tales or the folk tales. And I just, I was just obsessed with, with things like that. I, I, I took a course in college called computer graphics that I thought would really help me understand that what it ended up being was building ray tracers um, to sort of create three-dimensional uh, images, you know, like you would see in a Pixar movie. And that was really cool. That sort of opened me up into this idea that there's, there's this connection between coding and sort of like the three-dimensional worlds that you can build using Calculus 3. And then also just being able to create your own visions of what the world could be, 
being able to recreate your own world in which you're not just drawing using pencil or paint or, or paper, but you're actually recreating worlds and you have control over what those worlds could look like. How does light refract in this world? What are the color spectrums you're going to have in this world? You know, what are even the lenses look like, right? And you can create movement and create virtual worlds, you know, based on whatever you want. And, and, and that really showed me a lot of power of if I can create ideas and I can express them through images and through videos, then people will actually understand what they're talking about, you know, what, what it is I'm talking about. And it's really easy for me to understand complex and big topics when I can see the story surrounding them, right? And so in college, you know, I, I was lucky that the, in the program I was in, I, I could minor in something else. And when I looked at the, the requ requirements for being a film and media studies minor, I said, you know, I, I just have to stick around for another semester and I'll be able to get the whole major. So I, <laughs> I, 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 I ended up doing another semester and ended up getting two degrees, right? Um, instead of just doing a primary degree and then a minor. Yeah. Uh, what it ended up doing though is, um, and, and, and I don't know if this is sort of, you want this, the whole origin story, right? But, you know, I came, I, I graduated in 2000 at a time, you know, like this is like, uh, you know, four years before YouTube at a time when the, I think our whole um, uh, country was going through a massive transition. Uh, I got a job right away helping to build a startup called Altru, in which we were trying very hard to build a mechanism for, for, for youth to sh make and share their own videos mm -hmm. online. Right? We were working with um, a lot of youth companies. And this is primarily because at the time, broadband was only available for about 10% of the population. So the, the people that, that had the ability to watch the videos we're putting online were all college students, right? People in dorms with high-speed connections. And so, you know, we're, we're, we were um, making videos based on skateboarding culture, on breakdancing culture, hip hop. You know, uh, our major sponsor was Mountain Dew, right? I remember I got sent on an assignment to uh, cover um, the Cannabis Cup in Amsterdam, you know, because we were partnered with High Times Magazine, right? Mm -hmm. So we were really trying to get into this demographic of just youth culture and, mm -hmm. and giving cameras to people, having them make videos of the lives around them, and then cutting them into short, you know, two, three, five minute chunks and putting them online and then giving people a chance to watch them. And, you know, I was building this, all this stuff from scratch, right? I remember like really like, like taking apart Windows Media Player, right? The, the entire API and then building, you know, codecs, right? So that like, if you like this video, or if you watch this video more than 10 times, here's another recommendation for a video that'll pop up for you, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is stuff that like <laughs> years later, right? It's so, it's so yeah. part of the culture that we're living in. But I remember like having to really think through this and then doing a really crappy job. <laughs> trying to <put> this together. <laughs> um, so, so that was fun. And, and so, you know, that was sort of the semblance of the connection between media and, and, and computer science for me. And what I, what I found is that part was really fun. Um, but I was, there's also a part that was missing to me. And, and the part that was missing was, what am I actually doing to make the world around me a better place? Right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I was living in New York at the time. And after 9-11 like happened, and the company that helped start, you know, fell apart. All these, um, you know, a lot of dot-coms, you know, really were just were working off of borrowed money. And so, you know, the, when the investments dried up, you know, our company went down. And so I really started focusing on what I want to do. Right. And so I remember very specifically um, thinking, you know, that I had so many educators in my family. My, my aunt was a teacher in New York City. I was living in New York at the time. And I talked to her a lot about her, her time of being a teacher. And it, I mean, it really was amazing. Was just, you know, every, I would just walk in the street with her and she'd always run into a former student and people would remember her. You know, people would remember her from when they were eight years old and now in their 30s right, or 40s. Mm -hmm. So that was an amazing experience. So I, 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 I sort of took it upon myself 
to, to think about becoming a teacher. And I entered into a, uh, an alternative certification program called the New York City Teaching Fellows and worked on my master's uh, with them. And it was one of the scenes where when I started teaching middle school, I mean, it was, it was hard, it was really hard. But when I started doing my student teaching and working in the classroom, I thought, this is good. This is like, I, I'm exhausted um, emotionally, mentally, physically, and yet I, I can keep going because I love it because my soul is fulfilled. And so I, I made the transition to become a middle school teacher. And from there, right, it's like the, then, then the progression from where I, from, from there to here is a little bit more linear, right? You know, mm-hmm. became a teacher. I loved, I loved teaching. I taught in Brooklyn, New York. I taught at the school. Um, Jay-Z went to um, <laughs> IS3. <laughs> I mean, great, great, incredible neighborhood and so yeah. much support. I love the community. And then, you know, when I was working my master's, I remember my, my, um, uh, my advisor said, you know, like, the hard part about doing education is it's really hard to make an impact, right? Like a lot of mm-hmm. us are stuck in the classroom. And if you, if you feel like you want to like have an impact on policy and really seem like, like when you're a teacher, you see very clearly, right? There's so many issues going on. Yeah. It's not the teachers, it's not the students, it's not the schools, right? It's the issues surrounding all of it. And so he encouraged me to go get a PhD. He said, you know, there, if, if you're passionate about this stuff, you know, oftentimes people listen to you because you have these three letters behind your last name, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I said, okay. So I started applying for doctoral programs. And I originally wanted to stay in New York. Um, you know, my, my plan was to, to, to stay in the classroom and do my PhD part-time uh, at Columbia Teachers College. And then I got an offer to go to University of Texas. You know, those of us who are students were you know, in the school and it was a funded, a funded PhD. I didn't really know what that meant at the time. And, you know, when I asked around, people said, you got to take that. You got to take the funded position, right? Because that mm. means that you don't have to worry about funding year after year after year. So I went to the University of Texas and got my PhD. Um, really had a lot of fun, you know, getting into understanding, you know, mathematics education research and the connections to the work that I was doing previously. And then, mm-hmm. you know, graduated, did a postdoc, and then here I am at OSU now. So you are well-traveled, right? You've been all over, <laughs> I mean, from, from Texas to, to John Hopkins and yeah. St. John's to back to Texas and, and with a stop in New York in between. Yeah. And now, you're, now you, you came to Ohio. One of the things that we like to ask about is that's a path in and of itself, but there's a pathway to get to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you were yourself at, at one point, uh, you know, middle school, high school student, as you mm-hmm. were shaping how you wanted to uh, see yourself the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you even talked a little bit about the fact that you, um, you know, didn't, you had to make a decision on what you wanted to do after you got to college, yeah. right? And yeah. so, but you made it to college mm-hmm. and that's a piece in and of itself. Who were the people kind of help steer you in that, in that way, you know, whether it be family, uh, counselors, teachers, so on and so forth, that not only help steer you to higher education as an option, but then help um, kind of water the seeds of, you know, interest in math and, mm-hmm. and, and media and so on and so forth. Yeah, um, thanks, that's a great question. So. It's easy sometimes, right, you know, to, to, to think back and think that my life started in college, right? In reality, right? it's not. When you get old, it seems that way. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I was starting college in 98, so we're not that far, you know, so I like, I was just, I mean, I, my life didn't start until 98. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting because I th- I think it's mainly because the world that we live in, right? Or at least this this world where you know I'm situated in university, it's easy because many people I think don't actually acquire critical skills and and, and really establish their own identity until you know that time when they're in an undergraduate institution, right? Mm-hmm. And that and that's and that's a big problem, right? And you're, I, yeah. I think you're hitting it on, on on the head, Joel. Like, you know, who who was I? Who got to college? And I think it's e- it's there's a lot of people in my life I can thank, you know, my parents, you know, my community. I had a, I had a very, very strong um, church-based uh, Christian Chinese community that I grew up in, in Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and they meant a lot to me. And then as, you know, as I've grown up over the years, I, I realized even more how lucky I was to be part of this amazing network of, you know, first, second, third generation Chinese Americans who really showed me what it meant to be an American and really showed me, you know, the, the, the ways that we get past, you know, racism, the ways that we get past the ways that, you know, immigrant communities are situated in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will also say on the flip side of that, growing up Asian American, you know, um, at the time, the Chinese American community in Houston was still pretty small. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I'll say that I was definitely tokenized and definitely mm-hmm. positioned in ways in which my academic ability was never questioned and often highly encouraged by the many teachers and educators around me. And I think many of them thought they were doing me a big favor, right? Mm-hmm. By saying, you know, like I, like I remember very specifically showing up in middle school in sixth grade and being told, oh, you're gonna be in the seventh, the seventh grade math class. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm gonna be in a cl- math class with a kids a year older than me, mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, like where did that come from? Would that have happened if I wasn't Chinese American, right? I don't, I'm not, I, I honestly don't think so, right? I think, mm-hmm. I think stereotypes play a huge role into how you're positioned. Um, mm-hmm. I think that because of that, and because I excelled in math, I don't think there was any educators or people in my community that ever thought I wouldn't go to college, you know? And I, I think that, that expectations, you know, the adult expectations around you play a heavy role into how you see yourself and how you position yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So even in, in middle school, right? You know, I remember like when I was a middle school teacher, you know, a lot of my students would say, oh, yo, I want to go to North Carolina. I want to go to Duke. I want to go here. And many of them, their, their understandings of, of college is based on maybe where they see great sports programs operating, yeah. right? Yep. And, and, I, and I get it. And I'm like, you know, like, if you want to go there, like, let's, let's look into it. But, you know, going to college is a fit. And I think a lot of times, if you can start visualizing, it becomes reality. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of times for those of us who work in schools, right, we want to help our students visualize, hey, if you if you think that Duke's the place for you because you like the basketball team, let's take a look at the academics. Let's go on the website and check it out and see if is it the place that you want to be. Right. And I think for me, I was in a world in which I had a lot of access to that, that sort mm-hmm. of thinking. You know, I, I had cousins, I had people in the community. I mean, a lot of the people I grew up with had college degrees, you know, wow. many of the adults I grew up with had multiple, multiple graduate degrees, right? My, my parents both have graduate degrees. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was not a hard path for me to get into, mm-hmm. to go to, to, to go to college and then to think of, about life beyond college even, right? I, I will, I will say though, there, there are a lot of people who were definitely, you know, their, their, their eyebrows raised when I said that I want to study film, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's, it's often because, you know, there, there are stereotypes that, you know, when I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to do engineering, I'm going to do computer science, that sort of fit the script, right? Yeah. But then I said, I want, to do, I want to do this other stuff, right? Or I want to get into public school education. That sometimes sort of like, you know, broke, broke molds a little bit within my own community, 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's just so unique too. Once you know, I learned about you know that you have that media and film background, mm-hmm. and just with you know how everything's you know transpiring this year with, with COVID, and I also recently uh, read um, that you was a panelist on uh, reshaping you know K twelve education through this uh, uh, pandemic as well. And one of the things that's just so interesting, I think, I just really want to hear your opinion on this as well too, is the use of you know VR in education. Because I think one of the things that you hear from not only students, but educators is the student learning and engagement uh, piece mm-hmm. that is, is difficult right now as, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's online and as Joel and I were online as, as well too, you know, since March and, and mm-hmm. you have Zoom fatigue and you also want to have that peer interaction. You know, that's one of the reasons why you go to college too, to have those different um, interactions yeah. in class where, you know, you sit down next to somebody that you've never met in your life, but mm-hmm. you know, that can become your best friend. So can you just elaborate more on the use of maybe VR in education and maybe how that could be beneficial going forward? Because I think that also ties in, you know, with uh, your background in media and films. Sure. So, you know, VR is uh, virtual reality, right? It's, it's been around for so long. I mean, it's, I, I still remember it being really hip and cool in the 90s, but completely inaccessible to, the, to, <laughs> to, to anyone, right? right. Like it, was, it was this idea, right? <laughs> And now we, yeah, we live in a world, right? Where, you know, Google Cardboard has come and gone. You know, not really gone, but it's 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 no longer unique, right? And we're and we're living in a world where and, it's, and smartphones and other augmented sort of realities allow everyone to get there, right? To to sort of interact and 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 to see the world around them, you know, sometimes with a lens, right, that allows them to interact with other people. To be honest, I'm not really sure. I haven't seen a lot of VR work in the work that I do. And that's not to say that it's not there, but it's to say that, you know, the work that, I, the, the work that I'm mainly interested in is supporting early childhood, elementary, and middle school math teachers, mm-hmm. engage their students mathematically so that they no longer see mathematics as something in which it labels them as smart or not smart, right? It, it no longer sort of uh, assigns gatekeepers so that they have, you know, they, they can only move in one, one direction when they move forward academically, right? So to really break open what math is so that all students have access to really seeing themselves as mathematical individuals and therefore have the confidence to do well and then to, to really chart their own course, when, you know, getting to college or, or, or if they want to choose into, you know, some, some other industry to get into. I will say, though, like if you want to get into VR, this is a quick shout out to um, the Buckeye VR group. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if you have them on here. Yeah, not. They are, they're incredible, right? Let's just see. I, I'm just, I'm just going to pop up on Google. Uh, if, how active they are. I think it's Buckeye VR. They've actually transformed their name into, they, they do VR and they also do um, some really cool Buckeye coding. So they do some coding work and other stuff. Chris Orban is a professor, I think at the Mansfield campus who, who has a lot of that stuff up. And that's been incredible because, you know, this is a podcast, you can't see it, but he has these things that you can do, you can put in a Google Glass and there's students who can see like mathematical properties, right? Or uh, structures of, of uh, chemical molecules that are really hard to describe. Like they're mm-hmm. really hard to show. And you can't, you know, even if you have like a video of it, it's hard. You have to sort of walk around it, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's done some really cool stuff in that. So I know that there's a lot of great work on VR in terms of content, in terms of instruction. I think what, you, what Brendan, what you're getting to though, is a question that I have been thinking about a lot. And I've been, you know, asking a lot of, a, a lot of people because I need help too. This is how do we engage, right? How do students engage with each other? How do students and parents, sorry, students and teachers engage with each other? How do parents mm-hmm. engage with each other, you know, when we're all in this world of, you know, safe, remote or virtual learning? And I'm, 
I'm not sh I'm not convinced that VR is the way to go. I, I think that, that that VR is a really cool. It's like another lens to um, and another tool that we can use. I you know in my my realm in technology, I always look to where what people are using, right? And and as I get older, sometimes I'm realizing that I don't understand why people are using this technology, but it's hot and and, and there's kids are on it. So, you know, like in with some of the work that I do with you know fifth graders, sixth graders, uh, seventh graders. I'm not a fan of TikTok. Like, I think that a lot of the TikTok videos that I see rising, I'm like, I don't understand why this is popular. And well, it's going really away here shortly, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's <laughs> yeah, right? but it's 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 where the kids are, and there, and there's some really cool there's some really cool TikTok mm -hmm. content providers that are making some really good educational content. And I think in that way, right? You know, they, we have we have evidence of students being able to build community and engagement through making videos and responding to each other, and, and sometimes, you know. Uh, riffing off of each other's jokes within within multiple TikTok videos that they're stringing together, right? And so it's different, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Brendan, what you're saying of sitting down next to somebody who I don't, who might come from a different community from me and being engaged, but suddenly there are these ways in which kids are, you know, the, the, the paradigm of becoming a content creator or becoming a streamer is now wide open and they can just say, hey, you know what? You made this video, I'm gonna make one too. And then suddenly they're engaged in some sort of asynchronous conversation. That's not the same as what we, what we hope, but I think mm -hmm. opens up a, a, a new way of interacting and engaging. To kind of take a, a next step with that, that conversation, because you talked, a little, you talked about how VR, AR has been around, around for a while. And one of the challenges was its accessibility for, for mm -hmm. people, right? But there's a lot of quote unquote, accessible technology now that would have mm -hmm. not been seen as accessible 10 or 15 years ago. But in this challenge that we've come across with COVID and where it's impacted communities the most, which is, we're talking about uh, underserved populations mm -hmm. and urban communities and, and, and minority students and so on and mm -hmm. so forth. We learned that it's, there's been a kind of a veil of accessibility, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know, there is a population out there that doesn't have access because of just the basic, uh, basic yeah. broadband, right? Mm -hmm. You talked about, mm -hmm. you know, back when you were in college, only 10% of the, the, the mm -hmm. country had broadband. Now we're talking about having Wi-Fi and broadband, and mm -hmm. we still have big pockets of the country that don't have access. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how that impacts not only students currently, and their access to their current class, but then just either not having access or not having reliable access then impacts them into the next grade into, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a fifth grader, then I become a, a middle school student and a high school student, how that level of, or level of non-access then impacts me further down the line. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, Joel. I I, I still remember what happened to me when I first started student teaching in Brooklyn, you know, as, 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 as a brand new teacher, I had all these narratives from the media from watching these horrible movies about, you know, white savior teachers who go in and like go into an, a quote unquote <laughs> inner city classroom and suddenly through love and discipline, right, perform right. a miracle. And, right? and it's, it's, it's so ridiculous, right? And, but, you know, teaching Brooklyn, I realized that, you know, the, the, the issues with the inequities are, are really completely external, right? You have mm -hmm. lack of resources, right? You have, you know, people who, you know, don't have healthcare, right? We have, you have people who have lack of childcare, right? You have, and, and you have social infrastructures that are basically forgetting whole groups of people. And then because of that, right? Mm -hmm. They can't do the things they need to do to excel, right? Yeah. 
and, and, and so I think that this is just a continuation of that same thing, right? Broadband costs money, right? Broadband is not freely available, right? And it's not even broadband. It's also just even having access to the technology. I mean, one of the great things I think that OSU has done with the digital flagship is, you know, create an equal playing field with technology. And in fact, that everyone has the same iPad device. I mean, that changes things dramatically, right? right? Because then suddenly the device isn't, isn't, isn't become like status symbol. You know, I, I think what, what's ha what I see happening within the schools that I work with is even if you have a Chromebook, even if you have, you know, you, you have the ability to camp out in a library or a parking lot where you have Wi-Fi, you know, even just the background knowledge that's, that's necessary to be able to do that. Just having the time and the space to have an adult present with you, that they, they're working a job in which they can, you know, take time off, they can you know, check in with you, they can be at home having a space in which you can work that's that you can concentrate that's you know that 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 is not you know cluttered with you know the needs of, of, of other family members these are all things that i think many i would say of the ruling class of the united states take for granted okay. right but they're absolutely not you know for for a lot of americans and in order for this current model of you know remote education that is you know we've suddenly uh, been embraced you know, into those things, right, those assumptions are now being seen as, as that, right, assumptions, they're not true, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. and so we're, we're living in this paradigm shift where we have these models of education that are completely based on, I would say, white, middle, upper class norms that are then pre being projected directly into the technology and saying, we can do all these things, we can do school remotely, we can do our work remotely, we can do all these things remotely, and then we're seeing where it falls apart. And it, it falls apart from people who have always been pushed out of that world, who have always never been invited into those conversations, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that's highly problematic. But I, you know, at the other hand, right, I would say this is actually where technology is good. Because I think you know, technology can be used in, in, in very corporate ways, but technology also has the ability to democratize access. And I think it, it, it's time for us to sort of rethink the ways that we see our young people, the way we see our, uh, many of the people that we work with using technology in ways in which they're actually creating agency for themselves. Well, Dr. Chow, we want to thank you for joining us. Really great conversation, really lively conversation for us and, you know, synthesizes a lot of things that we've discussed with other people. And uh, I, I think it's just really interesting to connect the dots on two things people would consider to be desperate concepts, right? Storytelling and math mm -hmm. and, you know, all these kind of, and, and, and I'm glad that you're pulling those things together to help people, you know, find a, a way to either, you know, learn and, or express uh, or both. Right. And uh, so we appreciate you uh, being with us and, and look forward to being able to bring you back as you're, moving things again. You've seen, it, you've seen it progress quick. So by the time we bring you back, you'll be a full professor and then, <laughs> then Dean and then, you know, so. so, so I'm waiting for, for the movie, <laughs> the web series. Right, there you go. <laughs> That's it, yep. So, so, so again, thank you again. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Joel. And thank you very much, Liz, right. for having me. And and shout out all the great work that you that you and the rest of the ODE team are constantly pushing. I love it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Digital From Day One podcast. Make sure to visit our website at go.osu.edu forward slash 
Digital Day One. That's the number one, where you can find out how to subscribe, more information about our guests, and more information about our team. As always, we love to know what you think. Use the feedback form on the website or shoot us an email at digitalfromdayone at osu.edu. The one is actually spelled out here. Or simply give us a rating on iTunes. And we'd appreciate if you tell a friend about our little show here too. There's more to come from our guests in this episode, so be on the lookout for that. I'm Joel Nelson, along with Brendan Dickerson, and let's continue to make the connections to Opportunity Stronger. Until next time, everybody.